Uh, Romans 5. <laughs> I've got a picture of a polar bear that I'd like to go up now, please, Nick. Thank you. Mayor Nick, thank you. <laughs> I, I was going to start by saying, imagine a polar bear standing on the ice, but you can see it. So here is a polar bear standing on the ice. The polar bear looks left, and he looks right, and he looks straight ahead, and he looks behind. And we ask the question, which direction is he looking in, in this particular scenario? He's facing south every way he looks because he stood at the North Pole. As Paul is developing uh, his argument in Romans, presenting the gospel, we're in the section that is under um, salvation. And we're supposed to stand and in any direction that we look see Christ operative in our lives. Um, life poured out, blood shed. And everywhere we look in this section, we see reconciliation, which is where peace with God comes from, which is what you've been referring to and alluding to the whole time. In every direction. Which direction are you looking in today? There's a psalm that says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the... Uh, the Hang on, no, where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. There's another psalm that says, I lift my eyes, I was getting the two mixed up. I lift my eyes to the hills. That's the same psalm, isn't it? Where does my help come from? That's the one. Richard, get on with it. Right. So Paul is fleshing out um, what reconciliation with God means. And we're not just saved for reconciliation. We're saved in order to be sanctified in that reconciliation to become more Christ-like so that we do have peace with God. So everywhere we look, we see reconciliation. Paul mentions reconciliation three times, twice in chapter 10, uh, verse 10, and once in verse 11. So we look back to see that the death of Christ has changed the condition of our heart. A new heart I will give you, the prophet said. Do you have that new heart today? Those who believe in Christ? How is your heart? Those who don't yet believe in Christ, Christ can give you a new heart. That's the only condition upon which we can be saved. Reconciliation with God because He has atoned for our deplorable sin. Sin is just such a tiny word, isn't it, with I right at the center. But it is a despicable event in world history, and in our lives. God has atoned for this deplorable sin to make us His friends. We look ahead and we see the unspeakable glory of Christ with us. Do you see that unspeakable glory of Christ with you, church? Do you see it? With Christ's wounds displayed and His blood, verse 6, poured out. And looking around us with the company of brothers and sisters around us in the faith as we all learn to follow Christ faithfully in a hostile world. Learning to follow Christ in a hostile world. I don't know, as, you, as Lauren was reading this, I reckon that there's a few of us here who have 
uh, a few little notes in our Bibles, maybe a fridge magnet or a bumper sticker on the car with some of these verses in. While we were sinners, Christ died for us to make us his friends. A believer who does not have this sense of hostility in the world in which we live is probably not living in the real world. If you think that the the world we live in is neutral. It took the Son of God to rescue us upon a cross in order to make us right with God. And that's the fundamental principle of the world. We are fundamentally against the ways of the world. But Christ comes and brings us peace in the midst And so you will suffer and then learn to endure and you will fall and fail and you will get up and you will press on. You will forgive and be forgiven and Christ will reign in your life as the years go by. We rejoice in hope, it says. That's for sure because that's the glory of Christianity but we also rejoice in something else. What else do we rejoice in? What does Paul rejoice in? as he goes through his missionary journeys and writes his letters and shares the burden of his heart. What does he rejoice in? His sufferings. I said last week, Christ is wounded for you, so we worship him with our wounds as well. And this whole process is one of direction. Paul is moving in a direction, one of purpose. He's moving with purpose, and he's moving with meaning. It's what our lives should also be about, right? I hope there's not too much regret in this room as you look back on your life. What Christ could have done through you. And so we are justified through faith. Verse 1, for sure. It's always by faith in Christ. We will need endurance for the suffering that will come because of Christ, for sure. And some here have suffered for Christ. But the very love of God, that holy love of God, is also given. It's also poured out, verse 6, through the Holy Spirit. This is the first significant mention of the Holy Spirit. We're about to move into this portion of Romans, chapters 7 and 8, that deal with our sanctification. And our sanctification, once we are saved, is how we... When we're saved, we're made right with God, and sanctification is staying right with God. And we can't stay right with God on our own. We need faith in the eternal Son of God, who lived, died, and rose again for us, and poured out the Holy Spirit that fills us and enables us to keep going, to press on, when there are, as, as we heard earlier... Uh, someone mentioned Job. When there are no answers, God just says, I'm here and that's all you need to know. That's it. Some of us have faced catastrophic um, circumstances without answers. And all you need to know and all you have known is that Christ is with you and he is for you. And that's it. And so we walk on the water step by step, believing and trusting. Do we not, church? Amen. So, 
it's no surprise that God pours out his love in the Holy Spirit to those who trust him. But there's a deeper truth here. God shows his love for us, not when we first started being nice to him, not when we became lovable creatures. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, deplorable sinners, God haters and idolaters in our very hearts, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ, the eternal Son of God, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the uncreated one by whom and through whom everything has been made and by his power sustains the universe and your next breath and your next heartbeat. By his death, God makes us friends and reconciles us to him. So what does it mean to know that you are loved by Almighty God? Yeah, Richard, I know I'm loved by God. But what do you suppose now? I mean, there is a sense in which you know all of this, right? Anyone not know anything that I've said today? You all know it, right? No hands up. You all know it. So what, so what now? How is God's Word going to go out and reach out and touch you this morning? Where is that moment of resurrection power that we need as, as Christians in this world? Not religion, not self-righteousness, not covering over our sin by our own uh, power and authority, but being laid bare before the one who sees and knows you already. Because that changes everything. So it is likely that you know all of this that I've said so far. You're very familiar with these 11 verses in chapter 5. But what is God's word to you right now? To you personally? How will you apprehend something from the word of God this morning for yourself? How are you going to prepare the ground of your heart to hear afresh the lively oracles of God? It's the only reason we're here, to hear God speak, to have what he said and done reaffirmed and restated for us. But what do you need right now this morning as you sit here among friends, among brothers and sisters in Christ? What is it that you need right now from God himself, from Father, from El Shaddai, from the Mighty One? Because I'm going to repeat the words of a 20th century prophet right now. I've quoted him already in the Roman series. He's resurfaced again in my life and it's really irritating because he means business. Do you mean business here this morning? A.W. Tozer said this. Can we put this quote up there as well, please? God cannot fully bless a person until he has fully conquered him. Wowzers. <laughs> I think that's about right. It doesn't stop grace and mercy, and God knowing that we're sinners and fallen and fragile and fallible. But have you been fully conquered by him?
to be as fully blessed as you can be. God cannot fully bless a person until he's fully conquered him. Mike, would you mind passing me my raincoat, please? No, just the coat, just the coat for now. I'll, I'll get a separate trip for the brolly. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's like, I mean, there's a 50% chance of rain today, right? So as a 50% chance of rain, I'm going to kind of just 50% wear my coat. I haven't fully conquered my coat, you see. Will I be blessed with dryness when the rains come? Mike, could I have the brolly, please? While Mike's getting the brolly, if you've injured yourself and need to call an ambulance, do you hang half in the ambulance and half out the ambulance? Neither committing to one nor the other. No, your wounds need to be healed and you need to be fully committed getting in the ambulance and going to the hospital, right? Yes. Well, what if it is actually pouring down? You're like, no, I'm not sure it's... I think the rain might stop. How do we work these things? I think the rain might stop. Mike, can you help me? What is going on? I haven't conquered it. That's the problem. Thank you, Mike. There, there you go. Okay, thank you very much. I do, yes, I do. Like, if it's raining, we're all in or not, right? We're all in. We all need the covering. Not partially, because that won't do. I mean, this half will be super dry at this rate, right? But this half will be wet, because I wasn't fully committed. I didn't fully conquer the clothing that was necessary. And, talking of clothing, Christ, Christ is our clothing, church. He is our righteousness. That when you come to Christ as a, as a degenerate sinner, saved by grace, apprehended by faith, what does He do? He doesn't see your unrighteousness and condemn you. He takes off His garment of righteousness and gives it to you. And that's then how he sees you. Fully committed. Fully conquered. Okay? There's no half measures at all. The other week I quoted a scholar, Don Carson, who many of us would have heard of, one of my influences, on the tendency to only want three pounds worth of gospel, please. Just three, no more. Just enough to keep me happy. That's the attitude of someone who hasn't been conquered. Beloved, have you been conquered? Maybe once? What about today? What about now? Have you been conquered? And so, having three quids worth of gospel and God cannot fully bless a person until he has fully conquered him comes hot on the heels. They're of the same peace. God will not have our crumbs. Church, He won't have our crumbs. He won't have our banality. He won't have our token gestures. All or nothing. Christ must conquer a person. He must conquer a person. He must fully conquer. The disease of sin must be fully conquered. 
as a dangerous cancer, must be fully conquered. The Bible has a famous story in Genesis 32 of a man who wrestled with God, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, wrestled with God all night and wouldn't let God go. And God said, I'm not letting you go. Jacob said, tell me your name. God said, no, (laughs) keep pursuing me. And then received the suffering wound in his hip. His hip was put out to remind him that he had fought with the living God and won. He was conquered. He was fully conquered. I wonder what has been put out of joint in your life since coming to Christ. Has anything changed since coming to Christ? Anything? Or is it a religious veneer to an already okay life? Christ must conquer. And the good news is, church, that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You can trust this Christ. For God cannot fully bless a person until he has fully conquered him. Tozer went on to conclude this thought by saying that only the conquered can know true blessedness. And the, the idea of blessedness is what peace is all about. A settled mind and a settled heart and a, a settled life in peace, in union with God. Blessedness. That's the state of your eternal future if you know Christ. Blessedness. Romans 5 talks of Christ's blood making us right. Christ's blood. Someone humorously said that the righteous God, righteously righteous is the unrighteous. Turn to your neighbor and say, the righteous God, righteously righteous is the unrighteous. Isn't that, I I just love that actually. God is righteous in all he does. He's righteous in all his ways. And he righteously righteouses us. (laughs) God has squared the circle in our salvation. Praise God. And God does this only through the cross of Christ. Like our polar bear looking in all directions, we see the cross of Christ in all directions in our lives. And just as the cross slayed Christ, which it did, we need to know that the cross not only saves us from sin in order to be saved, but the cross also must slay us in order to be sanctified and conquered. So the cross saves us, and the cross must also slay us. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. We must be slayed. We must be fully conquered. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ 
who lives in me. Praise God for his never-ending mercy. So I'm going to finish with this concluding thought on why I'm saying it like this. Why I repeat the words of the 20th century prophet A.W. Tozer again and again. Because 1 Peter 4.17 tells us that judgment begins in the house of God. Jesus said, you've got to take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Peter develops that idea and says judgment begins with us. The people that the righteous God has righteous. It has to begin with us. Because I'm not convinced the church has been fully conquered. And that's a startling thing to say. And I think it's true for all of us to see. You see, some of us lament the way things were in the past. When we were young and had energy and strength and vitality, like I do now. I'm hoping in 30 years' time I won't lament the state of the church in 30 years. Longing and looking back to this day and talking to people and putting weights and millstones around their necks, telling them how wonderful it was, how people poured into the church. They'll be sick to the back teeth of me if I go on like that. But it's not true. Has Christ conquered us? Would things be so bad in our society today if the church had been fully conquered? Would we lament the lost past so much, which so many do, if we had been slayed by the cross? This is deeply personal to you, church. Take ownership of the gospel being applied to you. Have you been slayed by the cross? Have you been conquered by El Shaddai? Because everything we do, if we haven't been conquered, is just merely arranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Anyone heard of the Titanic? It's as if we've hit the iceberg, and as we saw with the polar bear doing strange things with its head, the only thing that can save us now is not the water pouring in if we try and stop the water pouring in, but it's the blood of Christ that is pouring out for our life and our salvation and our sanctification. And so our peace and our reconciliation with God. I want you to listen to this final word from Tozer. He's speaking, guess when he's speaking this? This word comes from 1950. Church, don't idealize the past. It kills people like me in ministry. We live with it, with reality, as we look back, knowing our own hearts and our own minds. He's speaking in 1950, the very era that many people say was the golden age. But it's never been true. Church, it's never been true. He said, if the church 
in the second half of this 20th century is to recover from the injuries which he has suffered in the first half, there must appear a new type of preacher. Oh, I was reluctant to go on, but I thought I will. The proper ruler of the synagogue type will never do. Neither will the priestly type of man who carries out his duties, takes his pay and asks no questions, nor the smooth-talking pastoral type who knows how to make the Christian religion acceptable to everyone. It won't do. All these have been tried and found wanting, he says. Another kind of Christian must arise among us. He's writing 73 years ago. He finishes with, Another kind of Christian must arise among us. He must be of the old prophet type, a man who has seen visions of God and heard his voice from the throne. Can I just invite you now for a second, please? Just close your eyes. Turn your hands up as though receiving a gift from Christ himself. And ask him in the quietness now, Lord Jesus, have I been conquered? Thank you for saving us, Lord. Conquer us again, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.